we're kind of uh, doing little occasional series which we're going to get more intentional about, uh, probably in, in the autumn, uh, about um, moving in the ministry, the gifts, and the power of the Spirit. And there's a reason for that. We want to stir up uh, the gifts that are within us, and we want to equip the church uh, to serve Jesus, uh, both in the building and outside the building, out on the streets. Um, now, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, uh, I just want to suggest two things. Uh, first of all, uh, I believe that they are gifts. Uh, we don't earn them. We don't deserve them. They're freely given. The word for gifts, charismata, uh, comes from uh, the, the Greek word charis, which is uh, a gift, a, a, a free gift. It's you get it for free. And, um, and so they're gifts that are given to us. And we're told uh, in the Bible, we're told by Paul uh, in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1, to make love our aim and eagerly desire the spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. So one, this is a train track with two lines. The one line is they are gifts, and I believe that completely. The other line is that uh, we, we, we hear God and we move this, these things as we grow in our relationship with Jesus. They are not separate from relationship with Jesus. Uh, it's part of of a friendship that grows. And if we want to move more in the gifts and the power of the Spirit, we need to dwell more in His presence. Healing is in His presence. Uh, deliverance is in His presence. It all comes out of His presence. It is not something that is detached apart from Him, like a parcel from Amazon. He doesn't send it like, like Amazon Prime. He comes Himself. He is the giver, and the moment we detach the giver from the gifts, we are in big trouble. So I want to suggest, and I want to focus more uh, today on the relationship aspect and how we can grow and develop our friendship with God, because we are called to nothing less than to be friends of God. <coughs> what an amazing calling, and out of that flows everything else, flows everything else. I was reading this week, I just came back a few weeks ago from California, and I visited uh, the Yorba Linda Friends Church, which is the church that um, the vineyard started out of. Uh, the Wimbers and the Fultons and uh, others who began the first vineyard church uh, came to the Lord at the Yorba Linda Friends Church. And and I was there, actually back with the Wimbers and the Fultons uh, as uh, we, we worshipped the Lord. And uh, the folks at the church, uh, this Quaker church, they gave me a little book uh, that was a very thorough book on the whole history of the church. And I thought I knew everything uh, about the early days of the vineyard movement. And I thought I could tell John and Carol Wimber's story better than they could. Uh, but in reading this, I found a few little nuggets that re God really spoke to me through them. And uh, I just want to share them with you. Uh, in every move of God, there are, there, are, there are those that are visible, but there are those who are sometimes more important, 
who are invisible, who no one except heaven will ever really know about. And the guy that led uh, John and Carol Wimber to the Lord, and we've, the reason we talk about them sometimes is because we're in that story. Um, we, we, so many of our values and our ethos comes from there. Although we're an Anglican church. And, uh, and the guy that led John and Carol to the Lord was a guy called Gunnar Payne. And uh, uh, Gunnar faithfully uh, did Bible studies with them every week. Every week he met with them. And Carol said that when John got interested, uh, um, he, he would stay, spend hours with Gunnar, just peppering him with questions. And John and Carol Wimber, their, their background was completely unchurched, completely. Uh, John was taking illegal substances. His, they, they were on the verge of divorce. In fact, they were going to get divorced. Uh, and there was, there was all sorts of stuff that was not, that was not good in their lives. And then they were introduced to this guy. And he patiently, even though he had, uh, he had you know, a job that took up a lot of his time, he spent hours with them. And what they noticed after a while was not only his patience and his love, but so often he would happen to turn up at, um, at their home uh, just when they were on the verge of another big row just when they were about to kill each other. Don't you wish you had friends like that who turn up just at the right time? But it would it'd be uncanny, Carol Wimber said, how often he would do that. And then there were times they would turn up at his house or at his place of work and it would be as if he was sitting there waiting for them. It was as if he knew they were gonna come. But he made, didn't make a deal of that. He never said to them, oh, I had a prophetic word that you were having another of your big rows and I should come and sort things out. I, he didn't say that. It, it just came out of relationship. But the thing with this guy, Gunnar Payne, was that his life was a life of pain. And um, his, his daughter, tragically, in horrible circumstances, was murdered. And I mean, that's, that's a terrible thing for any parent to go through. Uh, she was murdered. And then, um, while he was ministering to John and Carol and leading them and many others to the Lord and pastoring them in his spare time from his job, which wasn't in the church, um, his son was in a car crush, crash and was left a paraplegic. He was left with, um, I think, believe, if I read it rightly, some brain damage and he couldn't move. And so he was immobile for the rest of his life. And uh, when this happened, and they were heartbroken for Gunnar, uh, he turned up at their house, and he turned up at their house because he wanted to make sure that they were all right and that what had happened to him hadn't shaken them too much. And he wanted just them to know that God was in charge and he still loved them. His first thought was for them, not for him. And then they said, Carol said that there was this one time at the friend's church in the service, he just got up. He just got up in a time of silence and he started singing the old hymn, all is well with my soul. All is well with my soul. And John and Carol said that that's what finally 
decided them to give their whole lives to Jesus because they had been wanting to know before we do this, is he enough in the worst of times? Could he sustain us when everything seems to go wrong? And they saw it in the life of Gunnar Payne. What a testimony, huh? What a story. And, um, and he was the man who walked closely with God and didn't walk closely with God for a weekend. He spent a lifetime walking closely with God. Now, in John chapter 5, uh, Jesus, and we've looked at this passage, a number, it's one of my favorites, a number of times over the years. Uh, Jesus goes uh, to the pool of Bethesda, and there are a whole bunch of crippled people and blind people by the pool. And Jesus goes up to one person, and he says to him, uh, he'd been crippled for 38 years, and he says, do you want to be well? Which is a great question. And then he heals him. And then later on, in his uh, conversation with people, he says these words, partly to explain why he went to that one man. In verse 19 of John 5, we read this. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Now just stop and just ponder that, that, that sentence. You know, the son, I'm telling you the truth, says Jesus. I'm emphasizing this. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. If that was true for Jesus, how true should it be for us? For us. And yet, of course, none of us will ever be able to say, I'll never be able to say, Mike can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the Father doing. Now, none of us will be, because we're not, we're not perfect like Jesus. We're not perfect like Jesus. But the aim, the aim I want to suggest should be that tomorrow I do more that the Father is doing than I did yesterday. In another place, Jesus says, uh, the Father does not speak, the, the, the Son does not speak on his own authority, but he only speaks the words his Father gives him to speak. How I long for that to be more and more true in my life. How many words have I uttered on my own authority? How many words have I uttered without being dependent on God. Now, with the, the gifts of the Spirit, I just want to say this. There's, um, you know, there's, there's the, the, um, the, the gifting that comes as a gift, but there's also the relationship that is ongoing. And we see this in the life of Jesus, in the life of David, and many other places in the Bible. In, in, in the life of the disciples, for example, uh, where did they get their power and authority? Where did they get their wisdom to do all that they did in the book of Acts? Well, obviously, it was on the day of Pentecost. At a moment, at nine o'clock in the morning, the Holy Spirit came, and in a moment, they were anointed, they were gifted, they were filled, they began to speak in tongues, they prophesied everything. So that's true. That's one track 
That's one line in the track. Here's the other one. Where did they get all that? They got it, surely, having spent three years with Jesus. Three years with him. Not a moment, but three years where he encouraged them, he challenged them, he taught them, he forgave them, he was committed to them. He kept going back to them again and again and again. Which is it? It's both tracks. It's both, it's both rails in the track. You need both. King David, when he was a shepherd boy in 1 Samuel chapter 16, they, he was anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel. Samuel anointed him with oil and the Holy Spirit came on him. When did, when did he get the power to be king of Israel? That moment. But also, after he was anointed, the very next thing he did is he went back to the fields to look after sheep. And he looked after sheep for years before he became king. And it was boring looking after a few sheep. It was lonely. He was on his own. And it was hidden. No one knew whether he did a good or a bad job except the sheep. There was no shepherd of the year competition he could enter. And do you know, that's where he learned to be a worship leader. That's where he wrote his most famous worship song, The Lord is My Shepherd. That's where he learned to fight. I can beat Goliath because I've been looking after sheep. That's what he says. That's what he says. That's where he learned to be shepherd of Israel. It's not either or, it's both and. And if we just focus on the gift that's instant and we don't focus on the relationship that is for a lifetime, what we can end up having is very, very gifted people who hurt people with their gifts. Very gifted people for whom it's all about them because it's gifting and no character. The gifts of the Spirit, uh, we're told there's nine of them. There's a list of nine. There's more than nine. But there's also a list of nine fruit of the Spirit. And I don't think that's an accident. You put them together. You put them together. Just fruit, no gifts. You have nice people who are powerless. Just gifts, no fruit. You have very, very powerful people who are gits. God is looking for both. He's looking for people he can trust. He's looking for people he can trust. And just, just, just one other one, I'll just say, which I love, Moses. Um, the story of Moses. You know, I don't know how many times I've read that, but every time there's more. There's more to discover in God's word. And, and with Moses, do you realize that he was a Hebrew? He was part of the children of God. But he was brought up in Pharaoh's house. He had one foot in the kingdom of God and he had one foot in the kingdom of Egypt. He was brought up as, as a grandson, an honorary grandson of Pharaoh, as a child of Egypt. And it was confusing and he didn't know what to do. And that's why he ended up murdering the Egyptian and having to flee to the desert of Midian. And, and do you know, when we have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, it is confusing and we don't know what to do. And that's when we make bad choices and that's when we make mistakes. 
and God calls us and he wants to so work in our hearts that we know which kingdom we're in. There's nothing worse than, than, than having one foot in one place because the, 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 the kingdom of God spoils your enjoyment of the world and the world spoils your enjoyment of God and it's painful. But actually, actually, so what God did with Moses is he took him out of the situation for a season. For Moses, it was 40 years. Now, it can't be 40 years for us because we, we can't. And I'm not saying for a second that we all give up our jobs, give up our families, give up our neighborhoods and, and start a monastery and a nunnery and a, an in-betweenery and whatever else. You know, um, you know, for those that are married. <laughs> yeah, anyway. And... Uh, <laughs> And it's, it's, you know what, it's, it's not that. But for Moses, he ended up in the desert of Midian for 40 years. Now, in 40 years in the desert, I think when all other voices were stilled, in the lonely place, in the boring place, in the hidden place, gone with the bright lights of Cairo, gone were the, the parties in the palace, and there was Moses seeking God being dealt with. And then after 40 years, on Mount Horeb, it says, Moses encountered a bush that was a little bit different to the other bushes. And I love what it says. It says, when Moses noticed the bush, he stepped aside and he says, I will go and look at this bush. I will go and see. If that burning bush had happened in Cairo, Moses wouldn't have noticed. And if he had, he would have been too busy to have done anything about it. We need to get the fire brigade for that one. But do you know what? In the desert after 40 years, I've said it before, our friend Wayne Drain says um, that 80% uh, of prophecy is simply paying attention. In the desert places, the spiritual desert places, you learn to pay attention. And God spoke to him and said, I am, I am, I am the God, uh, uh, the, the, the of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am God of your fathers. And Moses knew what he was talking about. He put his head on the ground because he was afraid to look at God. He knew who he was. And do you know what happened? Moses was able to go back to Egypt. And listen to this. He confronted Pharaoh. He confronted the guy that he grew up with. He confronted the rulers of Egypt. He had been there. He would never have been able to confront those things, that injustice, uh, those wrong things, if he hadn't been away and encountered a greater king than Pharaoh and encountered God. And God dealt with him and dealt with his heart because it's really hard, isn't it? Isn't it the hardest place to speak up for justice and truth and righteousness in your own family? or with the person in the desk next to you? Isn't that the hardest flipping place? And so God has to, has to um, purify our hearts. And for Moses, he took him out of the situation. And the thing I never noticed till this morning, I only noticed it this morning. That shows you how, when I prepare my talks. No, I was just finishing this morning. I had started earlier. Um, but... When I reread that Moses passage, it says 
that it was on Mount Horeb, the burning bush. Now, that, that means something. You know, Mount Horeb is the mountain of encounter with God. It's the mountain of God's presence. You looked years later, um, Elijah, he won a great victory on Mount Carmel against 450 prophets of Baal. He won a great victory. You wrote, you'd write a book about it. And then he came down from the mountain into the valley and he wanted to die. And he said, I'm all on my own. I don't know about you, but that's what usually happens to me. Straight after some wonderful things happen, I go home and I'm all on my own. There's no one left. I'm the only one left, Lord. They've all abandoned you. Um, the whole church, I'm sure, in their hearts, of, I'm the only one. Even Crofty has disappeared. And, uh, and just, you know, they, they've all done it. And, 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 and you know, we, start, we can start thinking like that. But you know, there he was in the desert, um, in the valley. I'm the only one left. Take my life. I'm worthless. I'm worthless. So what does God do? He takes him to Mount Horeb. And he takes him to the top of Mount Horeb. And there is an earthquake, a wind, and a fire. And God is not in the earthquake, the wind, or the fire. There comes the gentle whisper a still small voice. Mount Horeb, where the burning bush came and Moses encountered God there. Elijah encountered God there. It is the mountain of encounter. What we long for as a church to be a is to be a people who above all seek his presence. Seek his presence. What got me into the whole ministry of the Spirit, frankly, was not healing. It was not prophecy. It was not the gifts of the Spirit. It was not great worship. It was not raising your hands. It was, it was where the Spirit is, there is God's presence. And I was desperate for God's presence. I was hungry and thirsty for more of God. I was hungry and thirsty, longing for him. As the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul thirsts for you. In a dry and weary land, says the psalmist. Better is one day in your presence than a thousand anywhere else. And you know, it's in his presence that there is life. And, and you know what, the, the thing about Jesus was that was so amazing is he chose to be constantly dependent on his father. And we as a human race have chosen independence and independence is the heart of sin. You know, the heart of sin was when Adam and Eve declared independence. They said, we're, um, you know, we're going to walk away. We're, we're going to live our lives apart from you. All the other stuff that happened was the consequence of that. You know, in the parable of the prodigal son, his great sin wasn't, wasn't badness. It was awayness. It wasn't going with prostitutes. That wasn't it. That was the consequence. His great sin was leaving his father's house. When you leave your father's house, prostitutes, etc., is what happens to you. When you leave your father's house, jealousy and strife and anger and unforgiveness and bitterness and gossip 
and murder and thieving. That's what happens to you when you leave your father's house. But when you come home, in his presence there's healing. In his presence there's setting free. And I still need setting free. So I want to constantly seek his presence. I want to constantly be in his presence. Now, I'll just say these last two quickly and then we're going to pray. Um, I mentioned to you uh, a few weeks ago that my mentor, kind of if I've had one, I don't think he'd recognize himself as that, but I don't care, he was, was a guy called Blaine Cook who worked very much with John Wimber in the early days of the Vineyard Movement. And uh, do you know, I told you some stories. I'm not going to repeat the stories. They were from a few weeks ago. But you know the thing about Blaine, uh, I, I just wanted what he had because he, I mean, it, the, way, the way God spoke to him was incredible. And the things that happened when he prayed were amazing. And I longed for more of that. So I wanted to know the secret. So I think I, I'll just tell you this bit. It might be again, but uh, I invited myself to stay with him and his wife, Becky. And um, it, they, they, they have a lovely house in Laguna Beach. So I wasn't exactly slumming it. And, uh, and um, I went there to, to find the secret. And do you know what the secret was? The secret was if he moved, if it moved, he prayed for it. He, and it was constant. I thought it was just on a platform, but it wasn't just on a platform. It was every time. I came to breakfast one morning, and he, I don't know how long he'd been there, but he was there pouring over his Bible. And I looked at the Bible before he closed it, and there was more of his handwriting in blue biro than there was printed words. I mean, all through his Bible, it was like lived in. It wasn't visited every now and then. It wasn't Sunday lunch. It was every day of the week, you know? And, and um, we sat at breakfast uh, talking, and it, we were just talking about, you know, the croissants, for goodness sakes, and and do you like porridge, or whatever it is. And then he turns to one of the others at the table, Beth, and we, without changing tone or anything, he starts prophesying at her. But he doesn't say, I've got a prophecy. He says, oh, and by the way, I think there's this, this, and this been going on in your life. And there's this that you're struggling with, and there's this that the Lord wants to do. She started weeping, it was so accurate. And those of us that knew her started weeping as well because we knew it was so accurate. And, you know, I, I remember a, a few years ago, um, I met up with him in California and we went to some Mexican takeaway place and we got a burrito each and sat at a table outside. And we were just chatting. And, you know, when, when I'm eating burritos, I'm eating burritos, you know, and... You know, I'll talk to be polite, but I know what I'm there for. And we were eating burritos, and again, in between mouthfuls, he starts speaking to me secrets of my heart. And he starts speaking to me what's going on in my life and what has been going on and what the Lord wants in the future. I mean, and I just knew it was the Lord because he was so accurate about the past and what I was feeling. And as soon as I left him, uh, I, you know, I, I, I got my phone and I tried to remember everything he said and, and say, it, say it down. Um, there was a few years ago, there, some of you might remember, he came for a weekend here. And Andy and I picked him up from the airport and he'd just flown in from California and we went to a coffee shop before we dropped him where he was staying at his hotel. 
And, um, and we just had a coffee with him. And in the middle of the coffee, he turns to Andy and he says stuff to Andy that was absolute revelation that was about Andy's past and Andy's life and what the Lord wanted to do in Andy's life to such a degree that Andy spent the rest of the afternoon walking around a park on his own trying to recover from what, I mean, that's the truth, isn't it? It's absolute truth. And you know what? What I love about that, it was daily life. It was daily life, just like Gunner Payne. I long, I long to do that. I long to live like that. And we've got to move from the sacred secular divide that we, we do this in church, but then when we're out Monday to Saturday, well, that's different until we come to church. Just, and, and the way it happens is in relationship. Stay close to Jesus. Keep listening to him. Keep watching for what he wants to do. Last story. Um, we haven't been able to do it the last few years, and he's very, very elderly now. But for a while, um, is it possible to have a chair? Thanks. Sorry, it's age. <laughs> um, this is literally, I lasted for everything except the last two minutes. And this makes it feel like Jack and Ori. Does anyone remember? Oh, there was a bit of a laugh. Some of you remember Jack and Ori. Jack and, never mind. Um, what was that? Brother. <laughs> um, we, we used to visit once a year um, Brother Andrew um, in Holland for tea. And for those of you that don't know, Brother Andrew, uh, there's a great book written, I don't know, 40, 50 years ago that he wrote called God's Smuggler. And it was the story of him smuggling Bibles behind the Iron Curtain and supporting the persecuted church there and the miracles that happened. And more recently, he's been going to terrorists and telling them about Jesus and leaders of drug cartels. I mean, literally, as the Lord spoke to him. It's an amazing story. We invited him to Soul Survivor one year. He came, and I didn't think it would work this 75-year-old, 76-year-old man talking to a bunch of teenagers. At the end, they all rose and gave him a standing ovation. Um, and then we invited him again, and uh, he accepted. And a few weeks, about two weeks before the festival, um, we, got, he got, we got a message from him saying he couldn't come. Something else had come up. And I was a little bit put out, to be honest. It was like, oh, you've had a better offer, have you? I thought... I thought you were better than that. I didn't think you, you did it like that. Well, I found out afterwards, literally afterwards, he didn't say what it was the other thing was, but I found out afterwards the other thing was he went to Afghanistan under the Taliban secretly and he baptized a whole load of new believers in the river. That's what he was doing instead of coming and standing on a platform in front of thousands of people. And... I remember when we, um, when we were talking to him once, Andy asked him, he said, look, you're an older man who's been walking with Jesus and you've stayed faithful to him all this time. What could, what, is there any advice? If there's one thing you would say to a younger person like me, how, how, what, what would it be? And Brother Andrew looked at Andy and said just one thing, 
Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. And Brother Andrew told us that, because we were asking, he didn't say as a boast, we were asking. He said before he would switch his computer on, before he'd do anything else, he would spend two hours every morning reading scripture, praying, talking to the Lord. Every morning it was his habit. Now, most of us cannot do that, okay? We cannot do that. Uh, some of you have got wild kids. Um, uh, you know, there's dishwashers that need loading. There's lawns that need mowing. There's rubbish that needs to be taken out. There's husbands or wives that need talking to. Um, there's shopping to do. There's, there's a whole load of stuff. But we can all do some. We can all do some. And the thing is, what we can all do is we can spend through the day have conversations with God. Get close. It's relationship. And do you know when it comes out of relationship, when the gifts of the Spirit come out of relationship, do you know what happens? What happens is they don't just get a good word that impresses them. What they get is Jesus. Jesus in you. Jesus in me. The kindness of Jesus. The gentleness of Jesus. It's about friendship. Oh, to be the friend of God.